Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal God, in whom mercy is endless and the treasury of compassion inexhaustible, look kindly upon us and increase your mercy in us, that in difficult moments we might not despair nor become despondent, but with great confidence submit ourselves to your holy will, which is love and mercy itself. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Today we celebrate and honor St. Faustina Kowalska. She brought us the Divine Mercy Diary and the image of Jesus with the rays of light coming from his heart, his sacred heart. And that prayer I just prayed was written by her and uh, speaks of God's great mercy and how he desires the whole world would come to know that mercy. Uh, so I'm going to speak to you about her today, and it would be 84 years ago on this day that she died. So this uh, saint has been, what we would say is kind of made very quickly in the, in the light of the way the pace that the church moves is often very slow. Yeah, St. Francis yesterday, I believe, was canonized in just... I think four years, so that would be one of the fastest ever. But today we have St. Faustina. Now, she was born Helena Kowalska in uh, the northwest part of Poland on August 25th in 1905. She was the third of 10 children born into a very poor but very religious family. And... Uh, when she was just seven years old, she felt a very strong call to become a religious sister, to become a nun. And that happened during uh, a moment, I think it was the first time she spent uh, her, her, uh, an hour before the Blessed Sacrament in a Holy Adoration Exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, which is so important. If you haven't gone to a holy hour with Jesus exposed in a monstrance, get that on your calendar to do very soon because there's so many graces that flow out, so much divine mercy that flows out of uh, Jesus when he's exposed for all to come and adore him. And this is where she got her call to religious life before the Blessed Sacrament. So uh, after finishing up school, she immediately went to join the convent However, her parents weren't so keen to let her go. Uh, so she had to become a housekeeper and help her parents to support the household. And when she was just about 19 years old, in 1924, she had her first vision or apparition of Jesus. And uh, oddly enough, she was at a dance with her sister. And she saw Jesus suffering. Uh, and then she went to a cathedral. And Jesus instructed her to leave for Warsaw, Warsaw, Poland, immediately and to join a convent. So she packed her bags at once, uh, beginning her life of obedience, and departed the following morning. 
Now, when she arrived in Warsaw, she went to the uh, Church of St. James, because that was the first church she came across, and she attended uh, Mass there. Now, while she's in Warsaw, she went and she approached many convents, but she was turned away by each one of them because they were judging her on her appearance. And she looked poor because she was poor. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but even religious communities can have forms of discrimination. I experienced this myself. I was told, uh, let's see, I was about 34 years old when I started um, inquiring into places just to get a feeling for what was out there. And I was, by many, was told, you just don't fit in with us. Uh, you're too old. You're from New York. We don't want a New Yorker. That was actually said to me by somebody in Boston. So all sorts of little discriminations can happen even in religious life. And eventually, she made her way to the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. Now, you know, only God can, can pull these things together the way they do. She had no idea she would become the Apostle of Mercy. But this is the first step when she enters this congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. So she's got Our Lady with her. She's got the Divine Mercy already being set up for her. And she had to pay for her religious habit. So she had to continue to work as a housekeeper in Warsaw until she had enough money to pay for the habit and enter the convict. So at the age of 20, on April 30th, 1926, she received her habit and she took the religious name of Sister Maria Faustina of the Blessed Sacrament. What a beautiful name. And uh, in 1928, took her first religious vows as a nun. So this puts her on the trajectory of uh, being at least in a place of contemplation where she could have the time and the space to develop this deep relationship with Jesus. And now in 1931, she uh, was visited by Jesus, who presented himself as the King of Divine Mercy. And he was wearing a white garment with red and pale rays streaming from his sacred heart. And he asked her to become the apostle and secretary of God's mercy. Can you imagine being asked to become the apostle and secretary of God's mercy? Like, that's a title, you know? That trumps everything. Queen of England means nothing next to that title. So she would also have to become a model of mercy towards others. And she would be the instrument for re-emphasizing God's plan of mercy for the world. So this, you know, when great honors are bestowed, comes great responsibility. And so she she had this tremendous responsibility. And uh, there were many times when she felt she wasn't living up to it, even though she was, you know, remarkably holy and obedient. So let's look at some of what came of it. By the way, she lived to be just 33, same age as Jesus when he died. And um, she was spectacularly loved by, by God. Uh, we, I know God loves everybody, but favored as well, I would say. She was remarkably favored by God. Okay, so let's see what we can learn 
from this wonderful saint. So I'm going to, I will be reading a few things from her diary because it's, it's loaded with pearls of wisdom. So entry number 1363. I feel that I have been totally imbued with God and with this God, I am going back to my everyday life. So drab, tiresome and wearying trusting that he whom I feel in my heart will change this drabness into my personal sanctity. Now, I read that for you because sometimes people think the saints lived these incredibly glamorous, glamorous in, in terms of grace-filled lives where everything is roses and butterflies and they have no internal battles. You can see from that quote, she was suffering internally and you know to feel that her life is drab tiresome and wearying those are three adjectives that you really don't want to use when describing your life so you must know that when we think of our favorite saints we tend to imagine that like i said their life was serene and peaceful and everything was rosy and all things went their way that's quite not true it's often the opposite when we look at their uh, pictures or artwork or statues, it's easy to think that they lived a life of pure spiritual bliss. But you have to realize that those pictures and those statues are created out of kind of the, the culmination of their life and the accomplishment of becoming a saint. So they're portrayed as victorious and glorious because they have made it to heaven. But that doesn't mean the path on the way wasn't difficult or even uh, very muddy. Just think of some of them, you know. Oh, when we think of Mary Magdalene, possessed by seven demons, she, went, she had to be a crazy woman, probably indulging in every capital sin you could, you could figure and muster. Um, Saul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. King David was a murderer. You know, but these people all, after they committed their crimes, were used by God to advance his plan of salvation for the world. And for Augustine, you know, living with his concubine for many years. So the life of the saints uh, is, was often a, a, a struggle and they grew into being saints. The only one born a saint was the Blessed Mother. Everybody else had to grow into being a saint. So that should give us great inspiration that we're not alone in our struggles. When we look, if, if you look today at a photograph of St. Faustina, she looks incredibly happy and content. And one of the most famous pictures of her, she even has a little smirk on her face, like a little smile coming out of her, her lips, because uh, we're looking at her victorious. And as we struggle through our own daily lives, coping with whatever we're dealing with today, it's easy to think to ourselves, well, if I felt the closeness of God that Faustina did, or if I felt as courageous as she was, I would be a saint too. You shouldn't think that. You should think, I, I can be a saint because of my struggles, because of my, my daily crosses that I have to pick up. It's, it's precisely those crosses and struggles that are going to make you a saint. So... And this is what made her a saint. 
Faustina reminds us that she had the same trials and difficulties and burdens that we all do. You know, the saints were born into the same types of families as we were, and they had to grow and they had to find their place in the world. They, she had to go and knock on all those convents. You know, God could have led her to the first one that opened the door. He didn't. He let her be rejected over and over and over again. And then when she came to the one where the door was opened, with some resistance, by the way, you know, she still had to come up with money. Uh, that would be the place where she would make her home. And looking backwards, she, re she would realize that was all grace-filled. That was a plan that God was leading me to just the right place. In my own life, that was quite true as well. There were many places I went and visited uh, to enter into the order. And in many of them, they rejected me. And in many of them, I rejected them. It said, this is not going to work for me. I, there was one that they got up at three in the morning to start praying. And I said, well, will there be coffee at that hour? And they said, of course. So I was getting ready for bed at about 7.30 at night because you're getting up at 3. Uh, a knock came to the door, and I said, yes, who is it? And I said, it's brother so-and-so. I have your coffee. And I said, no, no, no. I meant in the morning when I get up. And he said, yes, this is for the morning when you get up. I said, oh, how lovely. It'll be iced coffee. Okay. And I packed my bags, and I left. I said, this is never going to work. Now, that might seem trivial to you, but at the time, it was just too much. I was sleeping on the stone floor. They didn't have beds. The, the ridiculous hour to get up and pray. Now, I'm not mocking people that do this. God bless them. We need these people in the world. But that I was in the right church. I was just in the wrong pew. That was too much for me. Now, in the days to come, we might go back to that by force. Who knows? We could be living in detention centers, sleeping on the floor with not even cold coffee, gruel. Maybe we'll be eating gruel. And then we will say, gosh, those days when I was sleeping on the floor in the cold cell with the cold coffee look good now. Who knows? Only God knows. The point of all this is that these saints came from the same kind of backgrounds. There's always somebody that had almost the same background as you that became a saint. And that should give us great hope, great inspiration. I'm reminded of Mother Angelica. You know, when she agreed to have her biography written, and um, I believe Raymond Arroyo was the, was the kind of authored it with her, she said, I'm not doing this unless you tell the whole story, everything. We're not going to whitewash this so I look like a saint. Because she was very discouraged when she was reading the lives of the saints from some of the older volumes, you know, like Butler's Lives of the Saints, where they did whitewash the lives of the saints to make them look like saints from the very beginning. She found that very um, undermining to her own, her own vocation because she thought, well, none of these people have come through life the way I have. So maybe I'm not going to be a great saint. So she said, now, she wasn't saying she was a great saint. She just said, when people read my story, I want them to realize that there were many struggles, there were many crosses to bear, um, and that life was not always, you know, rosy and happy. So that people realize it's through these difficult lives that emerge these great saints. Now, what is the difference between a great saint and somebody 
who is not a saint, somebody who doesn't make it to heaven. I would say one of the biggest factors is uh, the saints don't give up. The saints do not get up. They fall down and they get back up and they put their trust in God. Remember just a couple of days ago, we had St. Therese. She said, I cannot get to the heights of perfection on my own. I need an elevator. I'm, I'm going to need an ele And Jesus will pick me up in his arms and he will be my elevator to lift me to the heights of holiness that I need to attain. Which means she's putting her trust in God to do it. And then she makes herself available and cooperates with the grace so that it can be achieved. Same thing with Faustina. Same thing with all the saints. They live in hope. And what was so reassuring is that St. Faustina became a saint by living through hardships and a troublesome, often messy life. She faced every day with faith and hope. And she really understood that God was present, even in the mess, even in the drab, weary moments that she was lamenting in paragraph 1363. In all this, God was calling her to holiness. Uh, there were saints that had remarkably, um, I don't want to say easy, but much easier paths to their sainthood. St. Gertrude the Great, I think she only experienced seven days of a feeling of desolation that, that she couldn't feel the presence of God in her whole life, seven days. And then the rest of her life, she always felt his presence and he was very, very, very responsive to all her requests. You know, I remember reading about uh, one event where the sisters were all out working in the fields, you know, doing the farming. And suddenly a, a, bit, a tremendous rainstorm came out of nowhere and they were all getting s soaked with the rain. And one of the sisters screamed to Gertrude and said, Gertrude, please do something. And all she did was look up to heaven and the rain stopped until all the sisters could get back to the convent for sh where the shelter was. And then immediately the rain started up again. That's probably very rare. The, uh, the, the other side of the coin to Gertrude would be Mother Teresa, who had a, a tremendous experience of God's glory uh, initially and then felt nothing for 50 years of her life. So, you know, God determines the path and the gifts and graces that will refine us to be the saints he made us to be. One thing that all the saints had, though, including Festina, was a tremendous faithfulness to prayer. This is a deal breaker. If you're not going to be faithful to prayer, you're not going to be a saint. I'm pretty sure I can say that definitively. You have to be faithful to prayer to become a saint. The you know I would say maybe the rare exception would be like the good thief on the cross. I don't know if he had a prayer life. It wouldn't seem he did, but who knows? But in those final moments, when him, he's speaking to Jesus, whenever we speak to Jesus, you're in prayer. So he got his prayer in at the final minute. But I would say that's a risk. Be faithful to your prayer life every day. You know, be genuine in your uh, speaking to God. We're living in extraordinary times. So I would say in today's world, we need to have an extraordinary prayer life. 
It can't be ordinary and it can't be minimal because we're not living in ordinary or minimal times. We're living in extraordinary times. So increase your prayer, increase your prayer life. Becoming a saint is not easy. It's very difficult. It takes dedication. It takes commitment. And Faustina, along with all the other saints, she didn't set out knowing she would become a saint. She set out each day, taking one day at a time, trying to live the most faithful life she could in that moment. And what does that mean? She showed up for her prayer times. She showed up for the time in the chapel, um, making uh, hours of adoration, getting to know the Lord more and more each day. And when difficult circumstances presented themselves, she turned them over to Jesus. That's what we mean when we say we trust in you. You know, we don't hold things back from him. We give everything over to him. Jesus, I trust in you. Guess what happened, Lord? I fell down and broke my hip today. So I'm going to trust this hip to you because I know you can heal it. Or maybe you'll use this to bring me home to heaven at some point. I don't know, but I'm trusting the whole situation to you. So what one attribute do we need to have and to foster in our souls so that we can reach the heights of holiness like St. Faustina? And the answer to that is contained in her diary. It is trust. Jesus, I trust in you. This isn't just some trendy catchphrase uh, that she invented. This is uh, this was dictated to her by Jesus himself. He said, I want this phrase put on the image of my divine mercy. This is how much this is important to him. I trust in you. Whatever you're going through today, you should just say to Jesus right now, Jesus, this is what is on my plate. Obviously, you know it because you know everything. But I'm going to trust this to you today. I'm going to trust my child to you who seems far from you. I'm going to trust my marriage to you, which seems to be in a shambles. I'm going to trust my cancer to you, which seems to be eating up my body alive. I'm going to trust everything to you because you make all things new. That's what Jesus does. You know, he's in the restoration business. Jesus is in the restoration business. So we got to trust everything over to him. Your vocation, every one of you listening has a vocation. Trust that over to Jesus. Everything is better when we trust it to Jesus. There's nothing we can give Jesus that will come back worse off. Ever. So that's what we have to be doing. So you, you may be thinking to yourself, I just don't have the time to pray today. You have to think again. You have to think again. Prayer has to come first because that means we're putting God first. What did he say to us? It's in this Gospels all the time. I have to come first. I'm a jealous God, not jealous in a sinful way. I come first. I have to be ahead of your family, ahead of your kids, ahead of your spouse. I come first. So exercise your option to do that and put prayer first in your day. You'll never be sorry for praying more. At the end of life, when I stand next to people who are dying in hospice, I have never once heard somebody say, you know, Father, I wish I would have worked more. I really regret that I didn't work more. No. They say, I wish I would have spent more time praying. 
I wish I would have spent more time going to church. I wish I would have spent more time with my family. The things that are important, that's what I hear. How can you possibly trust somebody you don't spend time with? It would be very difficult. So that's why you have to spend time with him. Go find a chapel where you can go to adoration and make an appointment, put it in your phone, and then show up. You can even say, I don't know why I'm here. Father told me to do this. And then listen for him to start talking to you. He'll tell you why you're there. He knows everything about you. And he wants to make you the saint that he created you to be, just like Faustina. Let me leave you with one more quote that Jesus said to her. This is from paragraph 723. The greater the sinner, the greater the right he has to my mercy. My mercy is confirmed in every work of my hands. He who trusts in my mercy will not perish, for all his affairs are mine. And his enemies will be shattered at the base of my footstool. Well, that should give everybody hope. And it's just what I said. My mercy is confirmed in every one of my hands, in every work of my hands. See, everything we have to give to him, everything should be trusted to him and his mercy. And it will transform us, you know, just like Ezekiel talks about getting a new heart. Well, when we trust in Jesus and we go and spend time with him, he, he replaces our stony hearts with beautiful fleshy hearts that love him. And out of that love, we can love the world. So good to be with you today. I'll be back tomorrow. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan signing off.